Hey there, we've got some important stories today, including one on a new California bill that could dramatically affect the way cannabis businesses make purchases. Trump acknowledges that cannabis legalization is very popular amongst voters, and optimism for safe banking is growing as a new hearing scheduled for May 11th. We've got that and so much more, so get ready. The marijuana industry is constantly changing with new laws, rules, and regulations. You need to know what's happening. We keep you up to date by bringing you the latest information on the marijuana industry. So get ready, because this is the M News Now. There's a California legislator who just introduced a bill that's hoping to alleviate the very real problem of unpaid bills from failed or struggling cannabis businesses within the state. But some of the negative implications of this bill are that they could dictate contract terms for sales, as well as imposing penalties and suspend or even revoke cannabis licenses based on nothing more than a vendor report, which could be based on disputed facts. The bill was created because of the hundreds of millions of dollars that are being lost in the cannabis industry's supply chain due to the unpaid bills from struggling cannabis companies. Despite California tax coffers benefiting enormously from the $5.3 billion in sales generated last year alone from cannabis, lots of cannabis businesses are struggling and failing, due in part to the unfairly skewed federal taxation system. So while the IRS is thrilled to recognize them as a business, they're not willing to extend normal business tax deductions to them, such as rent, utilities, or even payroll. This means that cannabis businesses are taxed on far, far more money than they actually have after their legitimate expenses are paid. And that means that it's very hard to sustain a viable legal business. And many simply cannot, so they fail. In California, which is the largest cannabis economy, all of these failed businesses equate to lots and lots of unpaid bills, which this latest legislation refers to as the unpaid debt bubble in the state. According to the bill's sponsor, California State Assembly member, Democratic Representative Phil Ting of San Francisco, the unpaid debt bubble is over $600 million across California's cannabis supply chain. So to try to do something about that problem, Representative Ting recently introduced AB 766, which would require cannabis licensees to pay any bill for goods or services that's more than $5,000 within 15 days of the final date listed on the invoice. And the date on the invoice could be no more than 30 days after those goods were delivered or the services were performed. And according to this bill, if a cannabis business fails to meet that deadline, the Department of Cannabis Control could start disciplinary action that would end up seeing the license possibly suspended or even revoked. And on top of that, the buyer wouldn't be allowed to use credit to purchase anything else from any other licensees during this time when it's being reviewed. One attorney named Griffin Thorne works for Harris Bricken, which is a prestigious law firm that specializes in cannabis. He's found many concerns with this newly proposed bill, and he wrote about them on Harris Bricken's blog. Thorne wrote, If AB 766 becomes law, it'll mean that the government dictates commercial contract payments, and that means that businesses would no longer be free to set their own terms of transactions. So if, say, you've got a great relationship with a vendor, and they offer you 60 days to pay, under this new bill, that would no longer be allowed for any transactions over $5,000. Instead, they would be forced to use that required 15-day term from the final date listed on the invoice. And again, that date could be no more than 30 days after the goods were delivered or the services were performed. Additionally, if you didn't get it paid, that vendor you are on great terms with would be forced to report you to California's Department of Cannabis Control. And of course, that would require lots and lots more employees at the DCC to handle all these new reports and disputes. That requires even more money from the cannabis industry to pay for those newly needed employees. 
Unless, of course, they're planning to just dump this workload on the existing overworked employees, which would mean more delays in time for everything within the DCC. The Assembly Committee on Appropriations issued a report on this bill on April 26th. They said that the Department of Cannabis Control estimates they would need at least $10.2 million for the first year and $9.7 million ongoing for various legal, compliance, and administrative staff to implement the new bill. And the report did not sound like the Department of Cannabis Control was very excited about the potential new workload. According to that Appropriations Committee report, the DCC noted that this bill would require them to serve as a contractual arbitrator. And yet they pointed out, there is an existing legal system in place for businesses to seek a remedy for contract violations and non-payment of services. And this bill essentially replicates the functions of the civil court system for contract violations. Thorne's blog post brought up another great point regarding another aspect of the bill, and that is that the immediate reporting of debts past the 15-day deadline would be mandatory. So if a vendor fails to report a debt right away, Thorne asks, would they then be subject to potential discipline? Thorne continues by saying, it sure seems like it. I can't tell you how much harder it will be to settle payment disputes once one side has reported the other to the state. Another potentially devastating effect of the current version of AB 766 is that a debt report would immediately exclude that allegedly delinquent business from buying anything more on credit, effectively stopping operations in most cases. And keep in mind that those debt reports could be wrong. They're just based on a vendor's word. So by filing a report, they could devastate someone's business operations, based on error or even malicious intent. Thorne pointed out that the current bill's wording says, the person making the report has to give the DCC almost no information in order to make the report. There's no hearing. There does not even seem to be an opportunity to contest the report. The second a report's made, the other side loses its rights to buy goods on credit, presumably even under pre-existing contractual arrangements with third parties. This seems like an obvious due process concern and ripe for abuse. Another excellent point that Thorne brings up is that the bill does not address what actually happens in the event of a disputed invoice report. Thorne asked, what if XYZ retailer doesn't pay ABC because the goods that XYZ bought were moldy? Well, looks like ABC would still have to report it. Again, this makes no sense. Representative Ting's bill is supported by the Cannabis Distribution Association, California Cannabis Manufacturers Association, and the California Cannabis Industry Association. They're saying that the bill would address the debt crisis in the California cannabis industry by establishing clear terms of sale across the supply chain and by establishing oversight of sales on credit payment. Of course, there are also many opponents to this bill, including a coalition of retailers who say they strongly believe that this solution is much too drastic and punitive in nature and will result in greater net negative for the industry and the state of California. Donald Trump doesn't appear to be changing his negative opinion of cannabis, but he certainly should. And after some statements he made last week, he seems to be showing his awareness for the widespread support cannabis has amongst voters across the country. And perhaps, hopefully, that could lead him to soften his harsh stance. During Newsmax's Greg Kelly show this past week, Trump stuck to his story where he said that cannabis does significant damage. But he also acknowledged that legalizing cannabis is a pretty popular thing. Kelly had asked him what effect Trump thinks that cannabis legalization is having on our country's competitiveness, as well as the country's psyche. So Trump responded by saying, well, I mean, you see the same studies. It's not helping people. I mean, the studies are saying that it does damage. It does significant damage. Uh, it's yet, from a voting standpoint, it's a pretty popular thing. 
A Pew Research Center poll that was conducted in October of 2022 showed that an overwhelming share of adults in the United States, 88%, say that some form of cannabis should be legal. And only about 10% said no form of cannabis should be legal. That's something politicians should pay attention to. And while Trump is still clinging to his erroneous belief that cannabis does what he called significant damage, while referring to unknown studies, it's clear he's aware that he is now in the very small 10% minority of Americans. The Senate Banking Committee has officially scheduled a hearing for the SAFE Banking Act on Thursday, May 11th, during a meeting called Examining Cannabis Banking Challenges of Small Businesses and Workers. The SAFE Banking Act, which is the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, is looking to protect banks that work with state legal cannabis businesses from being penalized by federal regulators. This means that the cannabis industry would have more options available in traditional banking, and they'd be able to move away from being cash-based. The Democratic senator from Ohio, Sherrod Brown, who's also the Senate Banking Committee chairman, told reporters just hours before the hearing was scheduled that the senators are planning to move quickly on this legislation. One of the sponsors of the bill, Democratic Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon, tweeted on Thursday that he and a fellow sponsor, Republican Senator Steve Daines of Montana, are backing safe banking to reform the outdated laws that are forcing cannabis businesses to operate entirely in cash, which puts employees and communities at risk. Merkley said, we have a path to a hearing and a floor vote, he said. Let's get it done. While this bipartisan Safe Banking Act does have wide support, and it is considered one of the more passable pieces of cannabis legislation this session, its future is still unclear. The Republican-controlled House have traditionally been opposed to cannabis legislation, and recently Senate Republicans blocked a motion to advance a simple bill that just sought to study the potential viability of cannabis for treating post-traumatic stress disorder and chronic pain in military veterans. The next time you hear someone say they oppose cannabis legalization because it would lead to more teen usage, you can point them towards the latest federal data on the subject. A new study done by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention Youth's Risk Behavior Survey found that teen usage has actually decreased as more and more states have legalized recreational cannabis use. Before the first state ever allowed legal recreational cannabis sales, teen use had actually been on the rise in the country. But after that, the CDC study found that there's been an overall decrease in use in teens. For example, since this study data began in 2009, teen use of cannabis increased to a high point of 23.4% in 2013. But since the very first legal recreational cannabis sales began in January of 2014, which was in Colorado, that number has trended down to the low point of 15.8% in 2021, where the study data ended. That's a huge decrease. This federally-backed report shows clearly that an increase in state legalization has not, in fact, led to higher numbers of teen usage, but rather an overall significant decrease. Public health officials were encouraged, and they suggested that an increase in public awareness, education, and substance abuse information are helping to reduce factors that contribute to risk for adolescents. It's worth noting, too, that this type of education has seen an increase, along with state legalization increasing. And there have been other studies, just like this CDC report, which are also federally backed, and have also shown a decrease in youth usage. Some of those would include a study by the National Institute on Drug Abuse that was published in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine. Another federally funded study was done by Michigan State University researchers and published in the journal PLOS1 in 2022. Additionally, another federally funded study by the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, which was done in 2020. Links to all those studies can be found on our website. 
Florida voters approved medical marijuana in 2016, but until now, they have not been able to see recreational legalization get passed. Hopefully, though, that could change, as efforts to get it on the November ballot in Florida are moving closer to their goal. If a measure does make it onto the ballot and is passed by voters, Florida residents could have legal recreational cannabis just six months after voters approve it. But to get the issue on the ballot, advocates need to secure 891,523 signatures by the end of May. And they're currently right on track to easily achieve that. Cannabis advocates there have already secured 841,130 signatures, which makes them just about 50,000 signatures shy of their goal. And that number shouldn't be a problem to reach, as they've averaged a gain of about 210,000 signatures a month for the last couple months. There is one other obstacle, though, before the issue could go to the ballot, and that's getting approval on the measure's language by the state's Supreme Court, which is currently ongoing at this time. The court's looking to make sure that the text of the proposal doesn't violate the state constitution's single-subject rule, as well as ensure that the language is not deemed misleading to voters. On the other side, though, there are some very strong political opposers, such as Governor Ron DeSantis, which means advocates do still need to work very hard to get this measure passed. Cannabis advocates in Ohio are saying that it looks likely voters could pass a recreational legalization initiative in the state this fall. There are some obstacles which need to be cleared before it could be put on the ballot, but optimism is high that it'll happen. Legalization supporters there first need to collect approximately 124,000 signatures, which is considered very doable. Tom Heron, who's a spokesman for the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, expressed his strong confidence, saying, It's going to be on the ballot and it's going to pass. Researchers from Ohio State University estimate the potential annual tax revenue generated from adult use sales in Ohio could range from $276 million to $374 million by year five of an operational market. That's all you need to know for today. Be sure to keep listening for the latest updates and follow us on themnewsnow.com. Later.